Welcome to the HPG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, welcome back to our Old Testament overview. Uh, We are going at warp speed now. trying to tackle even more text than last week. So buckle your seatbelts because we're not going to try to go into every story, every detail. Um, We're not going to read a lot of the text. But what we hope this will do for you as you listen, if you're especially if you're new to the Bible, is give you a taste of what's happening, of the storyline, so that when you do go back and read it on your own, uh, it will make more sense to you and uh, you'll be able to tell where the story is going and um, get more out of your reading, we hope. Yeah, and today's focus is going to be on Abraham. Big story, uh, big long story. It covers from Genesis chapter 12 through 25. Genesis is 50 chapters, so that's a good portion of Genesis dedicated to the Abraham story. But it makes sense. There are a lot of references to Abraham in the New Testament, and we need to understand his storyline, who his descendants are, where he came from, where he's going. All that is pertinent information for us to understand some of the references we get in the New Testament from the teachings of Jesus all the way to the teaching of his apostles. That's right. And I think we mentioned this at the end of the show last week, but Abraham is so important because really in some ways the rest of the Old Testament story is going to be primarily following Abraham's descendants. That's right. And because God chose Abraham. And it's going to be a record of how God interacts with Abraham and the faith of Abraham, and then how God interacts with his descendants, his children and their children and their children, um, all the way up to the time of Jesus. And again, this is why the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, starts with saying, Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's right. Uh, Abraham is really a whole new start to the, the plan of God to bring salvation. I mean, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, well, the first two chapters were awesome. And then chapters 3 through 11 have just been a downward spiral <laughs> of destruction and sin and how how is the sin problem going to be fixed and um, Abraham is not a perfect man by any stretch we'll see that very quickly but God is going to use him and his faith as a model for how um, he's going to bring Jesus into the world that's right so Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation the Hebrew nation the Israelites all the different words and names you've heard for the Jewish nation Abraham was the start of it And that story starts for us really in Genesis chapter 11 as it goes through the genealogy there and works its way down to a man named Abram. And we're told in Genesis 12 verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So we're introduced to Abram really by what God, Yahweh, the Lord, is saying to him. He's saying some pretty good stuff to him, isn't he, Stephen? Yeah, I mean, there's a covenant that happens here. Uh, He promises to bless Abram, but he asks something pretty huge from Abram. By the way, we're probably going to mess up saying Abram and Abraham at some point in yes. here. His name is initially Abram, which means exalted father. And in chapter 17, we'll get to that today, his name is changed to Abraham, 
which means father of a multitude. And you will see the same thing with his wife, Sarai, and then it'll eventually get changed to Sarah. So just bear with us as we try to work that yes, out. Yes, if we mess that up, we're probably not going to try to fix it every single time. But God calls Abram, and he has a, a big requirement. He says, I want you to leave your country, your kindred, and your father's house. And go to a land that I show you. And later on um, in Hebrews 11, this is reflected on that he went out not knowing where he was exactly. going. Yes. I mean, you imagine that conversation, Abram coming home and say, hey, Sarai, um, we're moving. Pack up. Where are we moving to? I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean you don't know? The Lord told me that we need to go to a land that he's going to show me and he will bless us. Uh, if we will trust him and step out in faith. And again, I don't know exactly how that conversation went, but you think about the, the guts and the faith that it took for Abram to leave his family. And I mean, that was a big deal. I mean, especially, you know, yes. all those years ago, that was your security, the people that you had around you, your family, and to go to a place where you're going to be a stranger and a pilgrim and you don't have a house, you don't have a place to be. Um it was a different world back then, and this was an incredibly big thing that God asked him to do, and yet he does it. Yeah, and where Abram's leaving, uh, Mesopotamia and the areas around it, we know from world history, it was a pretty awesome place to have been living at that day and age, and Abram is le- is called to, to leave all that behind. And man, I even try to think about, in, in my situation, you know, I grew up in, in Lexington, Kentucky, and decided to move to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. But Whenever I decided to move, I knew where I was going. Like, I knew people there, and it it was still scary for me. Imagine just being told to up and move, and you don't know where you're going. Mm -hmm. You just have to trust the Lord. And that's the situation Abram and Sarai were in. And the text records for us in verse 4 that Abram went forth as Yahweh had spoken to him. And his nephew Lot goes with him as well, which will be kind of the focal point of the story for the next couple of chapters is the different dealings that Abram and Lot have with one another. Yeah, before we move on, I want to back up and look at these blessings. Um, sometimes they're kind of pared down to three blessings, uh, land, a nation, and then the seed in his descendants, all the families will be blessed. But there's kind of more going on here. Um, and depending on how you count, um, there, there may be seven blessings uh, that are given in this text. Um, at least in the Bible I'm reading out of, you can kind of use the word and to separate some of these. So if you've got the land promise in, at the end of verse 1, which it'll be more explicitly promised later on in chapter 12, verse 7. But in verse, so that if that's 1, then verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation. Okay, that's 2. And I will bless you. And make your name great so that you will be a blessing. That's four. Uh, I will bless those who bless you. Five. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. Six. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Seven. So again, there's different ways to divide that up. But there's more to this promise. And we're also going to see these things being fulfilled. Um, It's kind of interesting that uh, like the one who blesses you, I will bless and different things. We'll see that happen with Melchizedek in a couple of chapters and just some different things that do play into um, the life of Abraham. Uh, Those who curse him, God curses. And it's just very interesting um, seeing not just those three promises, but the other promises that God makes to him playing out. And really, it's been pointed out that a lot of the Old Testament story is the playing out of the promises that God makes to Abraham right here. And again, if you pare it down to three, the land, nation, and seed, that's going to be a lot of the Old Testament storyline is 
the children of Israel getting land, um, the land of Canaan, uh, then multiplying the, in Egypt, the population becoming a, a huge yeah. nation, more than the stars of heaven and the sand of the seashore. And then, and you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's ultimately going to be through Jesus. Yeah, that's right. And the New Testament will make that point um, in the book of Acts. It says, like, this promise of blessing all the nations is going to be pointing to Jesus. Yeah, and whether Jew or Gentile, uh, Galatians 3.29 says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. That's right. And so ultimately all this is, is realized through Jesus Christ. But what I want to point out pretty early on as we look at these blessings that God, or really promises that God is giving Abraham, Abraham really doesn't have any reason to believe God at this point as far as looking at those things. He can't see any of those things. They're not anything tangent that he can put his hand on. But guess what? He trusts God. He knows that God will deliver on those promises. And that will be a recurring theme throughout the life of Abraham and many of his descendants as well. They might not physically hold or see those promises, but they know God is true to his word, a point that the Hebrew writer will point out in chapter 11. That's right. And we're going to see God prove himself faithful. That's right. Even during Abraham's lifetime. But at the end of his life, he doesn't have a huge family. He doesn't have a lot of land. And all the families have not been blessed through him. He's not going to see the immediate or the full fulfillment of those things. He'll see a little bit of down payment of those things. But God's going to prove himself uh, to Abram over and over and over again. And uh, it does that for us as well, if we're willing to see it. Um, so let's continue to move. We'll, we'll move fairly quickly through this next section. Um, at the end of Genesis 12, we immediately see that Abram is a sinful man. <laughs> he, he goes to Egypt, and Egypt is just going to become a source of temptation and a source of sin. And false trust. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so bad, bad things typically happen when Egypt is involved. Yes, correct. And that's what happens is, is Abram goes there to Egypt. Because there's um, a famine. Yep. And so he's kind of driven out of the, the land of Canaan where he was sojourning. And um, he's afraid that they're going to see that his wife is beautiful and kill him to take her. And so he lies and says, she's my sister. And she's kind of in on this. And um, she's taken by Pharaoh and there's bad things that happen. Uh, the Lord afflicts Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram. So these are like the first plagues on Egypt. There'll be a lot more of those later. But um, And you see God already coming through on cursing those who have, have done wrong to Abram. That's right. Now, granted, Abram's not doing right in this situation. Correct. And uh, you know, they come to him and say, well, why didn't you tell me? Um, you know, get out of here, take her, and leave. And so uh, they, they send him away with everything that he has. So he goes up from Egypt in chapter 13, and there's going to be a little bit of a some tension between uh, Abram, and we find out that his nephew, Lot, came with him, which is kind of interesting, um, when Abram left his, his family's household. Yeah, so what ends up happening um, is Abram and Lot realize that there's not enough land for everybody in chapter 13. And because they, God's been blessing them. Yeah, they've got exactly. lots of flocks. And you see a lot of humility from Abram on his part here. Uh, he actually looks to Lot and say, you know what? Let there be no strife between us. Chapter 13, verse 8, between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. It's not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right, or to the right, then I will go to the left. And that's exactly what Lot does. He kind of looks up and he sees, um, it says in verse 11, he chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. 
and Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. So Lot sees something about this land over here that's almost toward Egypt, and he decides to go over there, and Abraham decides to hang back. That's right. And, and, we, and this will be detrimental for Lot down the road. That's right. And one of the important things to remember here is back in 12.7, um, it mentions in 12.6, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord said to Abram, to your offspring, I will give this land. And he builds an altar to God. That Abram is trusting God that even though the land that Lot picks looks better. It looks like Egypt, by the way, in chapter 13, uh, verse 10. And so, again, you see this false trust. Like, Lot chooses the thing that looks good, and Abram ends up going to the place that might not look as good, but it is the land of promise. It's the land of Canaan. And so, um, from from the beginning of this story, uh, we see Abram's faith in God's promises, even though he does not own any of that land yet. He ends up dwelling toward the land of promise, and Lot, though it looks good, it looks like the land of Egypt, um, it's not going to be good for him and his family. And that is really just such a powerful lesson about sin. Uh, It is enticing. It looks good at the beginning. You think, oh, this is fine. But when you get tangled up in it, um, Lot's going to have to be rescued twice Mm -hmm. in all of this from this place. And his family is going to be ultimately destroyed by his foolish decisions to um, pitch his tent towards Sodom. So chapter 14 kind of brings us to a uh, bit of a, a dramatic chapter um, yes. with, with a lot in it that I wish we, we could spend time. And man, I'll tell you right now, you do not want to hear me read chapter 14 verses 1 through 11. There, there are a lot of names in there and a lot of places that I'm afraid I wouldn't be able to pronounce correctly. Ketterleomer. Yeah, and, and Sidom and Zeboim and actually some fun words in there. <laughs> but uh, there's a bunch of kings that get together that want to fight. Uh, and they all get together to fight. And why don't you go ahead and guess who gets caught in the crossfire of all this? The guy who decided to live in Sodom gets caught up with the consequences of living with sinful people. That's right. And so it ends up being Lot and his family. And, in fact, it looks like they get kind of taken kidnapped. I don't know what the right word mm-hmm. there is, yeah. but they get taken. They're plunder of war. And uh, remember, Abram is kind of on his own. He's sojourning at this point, but... The Lord's been blessing him. He's got a lot of people, and he's looks got like he three hundred and eighteen trained men. Yeah, in he, his house. He's even got these like kind of his own personal army. It's kind of yeah. cool to see. This is also important to point out. This is the first time that it calls Abram a Hebrew, which is kind oh, of yeah. cool. In chapter fourteen and verse thirteen, then a fugitive came and told Abram the Hebrew. Now he was living by the oaks of Mamre. Tells us where he is, and so Abram puts together his army and he goes to get his nephew. He goes to rescue Lot. And he's successful and brings back a bunch of goods and he has all these great things and he is eventually, he's rescued Lot. And then there's this interesting little story at the end of chapter 14 where we meet what's uh, explicitly pointed out as a priest of God Most High, a guy and king of Salem named Melchizedek. Now, if you want to know more about Melchizedek, read Hebrews. Uh, it has a lot of chapter really cool seven things. specifically. Yeah. This is one of those... Little stories that uh, is just kind of interesting and maybe a little confusing when we first read it because it's like, hey, how is he a priest of God Most High? We haven't even read about priests yet. He's the first priest we read about in the Bible. Exactly. Um, and you're like, how how is that? How does that work? We're not given a lot of detail about him. 
just that he comes to Abram, he blesses Abram, Abram gives him a tithe, which is a tenth of everything. Um, and that's what we know. It's just like this kind of mysterious guy who shows up. We don't have a genealogy from him, know where he's from, uh, and then he just kind of disappears into who knows where. And we don't hear anything more about him until Psalm 110. Right. It, David writes about being a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And then a whole chapter of Hebrews is dedicated to the priesthood of Jesus being like the priesthood of Melchizedek. Right. Jesus did not come through the Aaronic priesthood, but he came through this Melchizedek um, priesthood. And so there's some cool points the Hebrew writer will make about that. Yeah. So if you want to read Aaronic, that. not like ironic, but like the priesthood of Aaron. Yeah, sorry. That would have been a more clear way for me to have said it. But in chapter 15, um, you kind of see a, a re-up on the promises. Maybe that's the way to put that. Um, and you'll see that a few times Renewing in the, the vows. narrative. That's right. And God will, will come to Abram. Um, and I think it would be good for us to read this. Genesis 15, 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir. But one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Really key passage right here as God renews the promises to Abram. And by the way, I think it's helpful to see that Abram has some questions here. Yes. And God is patient with him. You know, we really haven't pointed it out, but Sarai was barren. Uh, this was pointed out to us before Genesis 12, actually in chapter 11, that his wife wasn't able to have children. And so, and they're also getting up there in age as well. And yes. so you can imagine what it would have been like for them to get this promise from God. Hey, I'm going to give you all a bunch of children. And they're sitting there going, well... Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. And by getting How? Up, and by getting up in age in Genesis twelve four, Abraham was seventy five when he left. Yeah. And so this is like later than that. And so uh, you have uh, an old man, yeah. and his wife is about nine or ten years younger than him. She's like sixty five, sixty six, and God is saying, "All right, I'm gonna make a huge family out of you guys." And she's barren. Yeah. Like she wasn't even able to have children in her youth. Yeah. Let alone in her old age. So it's just like, really, this is how we're going to do it. And that's the, that's the power of God. And Abram believed that God could keep his promises. Mm -hmm. Even though when he looked at his own body or when he looked at Sarah's body and said, like, this is impossible with man, but not with God. And his faith is going to be praised for this moment several times in the New Testament. And this becomes kind of a pattern for us. Um, in, uh, I think it's cool to read Romans 4, uh, Galatians 3, James 2. This passage is quoted, and it's not just applied to Abraham. It is applied to us. That's right. That if we will believe God, it will be counted to us as righteousness That's right. as well. And there are, of course, other things that we need to do to respond to uh, that. It's not a merely belief. And, of course, for Abraham, it wasn't merely belief. He's already left his father's household, and there's going to be several other things required of him. But at its heart, at the heart of it, is a trust that Abram has in the words of the Lord. Even though he has not seen it yet, he accepts it because he trusts God and he has faith in Him. Yeah, and that's going to be the the example of the life of Abraham is his faith in God. 
And so um, at the end of this chapter, it, there is kind of an official ceremony that takes place to symbolize Pretty this covenant. Pretty weird ceremony. Yeah, and it includes like cutting an animal in half, walking between it, and there's actually some cool symbolic things with blood and other things that work into that that we don't have time to get into. But um, feel free to kind of look into that and read that on your own time. But remember what Stephen said at the beginning of the podcast. Abram's not a perfect man. We will continue to see glimpses of, of really what is a lapse of faith on his part. And this next chapter is, is one of those examples. Um, so Abram and Sarah, remember, they have no children. Um, she's not able to have children. They know that this promise is coming. And so Sarai, Abram's wife, ends up giving her handmaid named Hagar to Abraham so that he may have a child with her. And it seems to be kind of a, maybe an attempt to quote-unquote help God out. And right. be like, well, if it's my handmaid, well, it's still technically Abram's child, so it fits the bill as far as like it's going to be in his descendants. Um, but they didn't ask God about this. Um and they just decided, well, maybe maybe this is the way it's going to happen. And so this has kind of become symbolic of our own attempts to fix things, which, as we talked about last week in Genesis you know, 3 through 11, doesn't go so well right. uh, when we try to fix things ourselves without relying on the Lord and relying on his word, what he has revealed to us. Um, and so this whole thing is going to really backfire. Um, it, it results in a lot of strife in Abram's family, uh, between, especially between... Sarai, whose idea it was, and Hagar, uh, her handmaid, who is an Egyptian, by the way. Again, you see Egypt, the, the theme of Egypt coming up frequently in here. Um, it's, uh, it's really a sad story um, because of a lack of trust in the Lord. And so as strong as, and this follows right on the heels of Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was not a perfect trust in God, uh, but it was a trust that kept trusting and kept repenting and turning back to God. I think that's one of the things that's powerful about Abram's story as we read this is that it is not a a flawless trust that God expects of us, but it is a trust that endures and continues. The other thing we learn from the story of Hagar and Ishmael specifically is that God, even when people don't submit to his will or do something according to his will, God is still able to use that for his purposes. And he takes care of Hagar. At the end of this chapter, Hagar, because of the way Sarai ends up treating her, ends up running away. And God goes to goes to Hagar and tells her she needs to return. And in fact, um, when she has this son, God tells her what, what his name is to be, and it's Ishmael. And that means God hears. God heard the cry of Hagar. And uh, then it's really cool to see that Hagar ends up calling God something in this section. In the Hebrew, it's El Roy, which means the God who sees. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of these side stories in Genesis, but you see where God is taking care of his people, even when it really wasn't according to his will or plan, God still is able to take care of these people. that are in the life of Abraham as well. That's right. And he makes promises in verse 10 that uh, Ishmael's descendants will be multiplied as well. And they become the Ishmaelites later on, uh, appropriately named. And Um, a bit of an age update, by the way. At the end of chapter 16, Abram is 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Yep. He's an old dude. We're not not there yet, though. (laughs) It's still going to be a few more years. Uh, That's what's so crazy about this is Abram's patience with the promises um, as he continues to trust God. So we get into chapter 17, and we have another renewal of the covenant. Um, God coming to him 
and saying, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai, as the Hebrew, um, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And here we have something added to the covenant in, in chapter 17. First, uh, his name is changed from Abram, mm-hmm. exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. And he says, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, which we already know that whatever son is going to be born to Abraham is going to be a nation. And now Ishmael is going to be a nation as well. Um, so we, there's going to be several nations that call Abraham their father biologically. And he promises, again, to give them the land of Canaan uh, and to establish his covenant with them. And then he says, this is going to be the sign of the covenant. Kind of like back in the, with the flood story, there was the sign of the covenant, which was the rainbow in the cloud that God was not going to destroy the earth by water again. Makes that covenant with mankind and the animals as well. Um, but here, the sign is circumcision. And it's kind of an unusual sign to us. Um, but is this cutting away of flesh that symbolizes um, the cutting away of sin later on is going to be what it's likened to. Circumcise your hearts is what the prophets will talk about and things like that. But it's this symbol given to the males in Abram's family that is a sign of the covenant that they have between them and God. This is another reason that circumcision is such a big deal in the New Testament uh, because this was the sign God gave to Abram, or uh, now Abraham in this story, um, and the Jews made a big deal out of this, and initially rightly so, because this was a command from God. But there's going to be, again, some interesting things in Romans chapter 4 that talk about even the timing of Abraham's story is significant, that Abraham was justified by faith before he received circumcision. So again, the New Testament will point out some things that are just amazing about how God is working with Abraham through all of this. But the point here is that Abram um, trust the Lord and does this. He and all the males in his household are circumcised and follow through uh, with this sign of the covenant and are faithful to God. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be a contrast to the story that's coming up next. We kind of have a lot reemerging, and we'll see how, how that goes. Yeah, and real quick, as chapter 17 ends, God kind of re-ups again and says, by the way, it is going to happen through Sarah. And that's where he renames her. And Abraham kind of laughs. He's like, dude, I'm 100 years old. She's 90 years old. How is that going to take place? And God says, no, no, no. You, you need to listen. It is going to happen through Sarah, and you will name him Isaac, and it will be through him that the promise comes. And God gets pretty, pretty straight up with Abraham here. Listen, this is where it's going to take place. Um, and so anyways, I just wanted to highlight that, that that's kind of where this conversation resurfaces, that it will be Sarah and it will be through her, and his name will be Isaac there That's right. in chapter uh, 1721. And Isaac means he laughs. That's right. So it's it's always a reminder when you hear the name Isaac that Abram, Abraham laughed and Sarah laughed um, when uh, they heard that this is what's going to happen. Um, and yet God fulfills those promises uh, as he always does. So it's a beautiful thing. So that's kind of the end of chapter 17. First part of chapter 18 has to do with all this and the promise given and the laughter that happens. On Sarah's part too, yeah. Yep. And then it gives way into this story about Sodom and Gomorrah. That's and, right. And God um, rescuing Lot again. <laughs> Lot is just continually in trouble because of his decision uh, to, to go toward uh, the place that looked good but was not good. Um, and so we see this happen at the end of chapter 18 is there's almost this bargaining that happens between Abraham and the Lord when he does tell him I'm going to destroy the city 
and we see God's mercy over and over and over again. I mean, obviously, Sodom and Gomorrah is a great show of God's wrath against wickedness. Um, and apparently, there was a long time that God was patient with these cities, but he says, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm bringing judgment. But God, um, Abraham, Abraham appeals to God and says, uh, will, you sweep, will you sweep away the righteous along with the wicked? Uh, far be it from you that shall not the judge of the earth do what is just. Chapter 18, verse 25. And so God is going to show his mercy uh, toward Lot and those who are with him. And so Abraham talks with God. He starts with 50. Will you spare the city for 50 people? And he works him this way all the way down to 10. Mm-hmm. And God says, oh, okay, yeah, There's even if there's 10 righteous people there, I'll spare the city. Um and so that gives way into chapter 19, where we read about what happens. Yeah, and so these two angels come into Sodom and Gomorrah, and um, it's to no surprise how evil it is there. It looks like the, the men of the city, they, they end up wanting to sleep with these two angels. And those two angels said they were going to stay in the court, but Lot finds them and says, no, 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 you know, you, you know, don't want to stay out there. Yeah, come stay with me. Well, then the men of the city come knocking on the door of Lot and they say, well, where are those two guys? We want to, we want to sleep with them. We want to be with them. And, uh, Lot starts pleading with these men, don't do anything wicked, you know, stay away. And he even offers up his own two daughters, uh, to, to these men that are trying to break in and and sleep with the the two angels. And, uh, what ends up happening, I love, I kind of love this in verse nine, the angels say, stand aside. Furthermore, they said this one came, or sorry, uh, the, the men say to, uh, to Lot, Stand aside. Furthermore, this one came in as an alien. Already he's acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them, and they shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. These men are like animals. But again, you see God's mercy. They reach in. They grab or they reach out, grab Lot, bring him back in, and they shut the door. And that really will be the end of the matter. Everyone that's in Lot's house will be the ones that are ultimately saved from this. And this echoes back to what happened on the ark. When the door of the ark shut, everyone who was in the ark would be the ones that would, were going to be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see Lot pleading with the men and, and trying to save as much of his family as they can. And uh, it's just a, a really kind of frustrating chapter to read on Lot's part because he keeps hesitating mm-hmm. wanting to stay with the city but Yahweh the Lord is compassionate on him that's right and um, I, think, I really like verse 16 on that because Lot is still delaying after multiple warnings and verse 16 says he lingered so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand the Lord being merciful to him and they brought him out and set him outside the city and say escape for your life so, like, he has to be dragged out of Sodom, um, even though he knows that the destruction is evident. And so that's what God does, is he rains fire and brimstone from the heavens and destroys the city and all of the wicked people in there who would not heed the warning. And again, there was warning given for anyone who would listen, um, specifically to Lot, his, his household. And uh, the city is destroyed. Lot is rescued. And this is interesting that in the New Testament, in 2 Peter 2, uh, the example of Lot is brought up. He's called um, righteous. That's right. And he says that God knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Um, so we don't just see the wrath of God in these chapters, but we also see the mercy of God toward those who will listen. Um, now, the consequences in Lot's life and in his family's life are still catastrophic. 
and uh, the end of chapter 19, uh, there's some terrible things that happen with Lot and his daughters um, that give us the, later the nations of Moab and Ammon uh, come from uh, these, this, you know, illicit sexual things that happen in those in those chapters. Those will be described as the thorns in the side of the Israelites. Uh, these these foreign nations eventually will just be a, a pain in the neck of all the Israelites. Yeah. So um, that gives way to chapter 20, um, where Abraham has this interesting interaction with a guy named Abimelech, king of Gerar. And it's kind of a, a, a deja vu moment in the life of Abraham, isn't it? It sounds very similar to what happened at the beginning in chapter 12, when Abram lied about Sarai, his wife, and now Abram, Abraham is lying about Sarah. Um, so it's a, it's a really interesting kind of a mirror episode to what happens. And again, we see a faltering in Abraham's faith. And yet the Lord shows mercy to him and again curses the one who curses him. And Abimelech, you know, is pretty offended by all this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, there's mercy given all around in this chapter and Abraham um, is spared. Uh, Abimelech is also spared uh, when Abraham prays for him, um, so that the you know his servants and household are no longer barren at the end of the chapter. But again, you see this outworking of the promises that God made to Abraham, even though Abraham's faith is not perfect. Uh, over and over, we see God's mercy on Abraham. And so again, we're learning about who God is and how He works with people, even as we go through the imperfect life of Abraham. In, in these stories. So that gets us into chapter 21, and we're just going to go ahead and read this. Chapter 21, verse 1. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So, I love, I love the way verse 1 says, The Lord took note of Sarah, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. God always delivers on his promises. That's right. And, and I mean, that is so much of the theme of the book of Genesis, as we're just overviewing it here, is God makes promises that people are like, Wait, what? You're going to do what? With who? And then God does it. Yeah. And we learn about his faithfulness over and over again in these stories. And again, Sarah had laughed when she first heard and laughed in disbelief. Mm-hmm. But now I like how it says in verse 6, Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Yes, This is now a, a joyful laughing because God has proven true. So Isaac's name of laughter reminds them both of their initial reaction and of God's fulfillment uh, of bringing joy and laughter into their home, even in their old age. Yes, and, and God, is he is obviously able to, he's established himself as the creator of these people. He's able to open the womb of Sarah. And I also like to point out, verse 2 says, she conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. Abraham was no young buck. You know, he was old as well. And, and men can get to the point where they can't reproduce either once they become so old. And so God's hand was obviously on the situation and it happened at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him, because back in chapter um, chapter nine, or excuse me, back in chapter eighteen, 
God had said that this was going to happen. Um, and so it's, it all plays out exactly the way that the Lord said. And that'll be a recurring theme, by the way, throughout the Old Testament, where God will promise something and then the text will acknowledge it happened just like God said it would. All That's the right. promises of God came to pass, as the end of Joshua says. Not one word has failed. Exactly. That's what I'll say a couple of times. So the, the storyline really does shift at this point, and there's a little less emphasis on Abraham and more emphasis on Isaac and what's happening. And the rest of chapter 21, we have a couple of incidents. We don't know nearly as much about the life of Isaac as we do about the life of Abraham. But as he's growing up, um, there's some conflict that comes up with Ishmael and Isaac, as you might expect, uh, between these two children. And what ends up happening is uh, God... Uh, tells Abraham to to cast them out. This is Sarah who does this. There's more Sarah-Hagar conflict here. Um, and this is actually, there's a point made out of this in the book of Galatians uh, later on, if you read that. But the Lord continues to take care of Hagar and Ishmael, even though he supports Abram in, in casting them out. He makes sure that they're going to be taken care of. And again, he hears the cry, just like Ishmael's name means God hears. Um, he hears them again, and takes care of them and provides for them, um, even in the midst of the wilderness. And so um, this is a powerful, again, story about how God keeps his promises. And really, almost all of this is leading up uh, to what's going to happen in Genesis 22. And this is one of the most powerful moments in the entire life of Abraham, where there's been such a buildup to the birth of Isaac. There's been such a tension of how is God going to keep his promises? Is it going to be through Hagar? No, it's not going to be through Hagar. It's going to be through Sarah. And okay, now she's, the child's been born and the promises are going to come through Isaac. It, we know how God's going to do it now. The child has been born to this couple who are advanced in age and now the unthinkable is going to happen and God is going to come to Abraham in Genesis 22. So, so in Genesis 22, it says that God comes to Abraham to test him. And he says to Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham says, here I am. Listen to the language of Genesis 22, verse 2. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go out to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So a couple things off the surface. We've just literally read about and talked about Ishmael. This is not... The only son in the sense of he has multiple children, but this is the only son through which this promise that God has given will come through. It's been made very clear to Abraham that this is the son that all the promises are riding on. And, and the other son has been cast out at this point. So this is effectively the, the heir, the son in, in Abraham's household. And, and he notes that you love him. like You love Isaac, and I want you to take him and go to this land that I'm going to show you. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. This is kind of a recalling in some ways of Abraham. Go to this land in Moriah, and then I'm going to show you, and offer him as a burnt offering. I mean, of all the things you don't expect God to say at this point in the story, it, it's, it's, I think, for those of us who've read this a lot, we get used to the story and like, okay, we know how it ends and all this, but like, to try to put yourself in the shoes of Abraham in this moment in his life, after all that's happened up to this point, and Abraham does not know how this ends, for God to come and ask him to do that is mind-blowing. Mm -hmm. And to see Abraham's response to this is a testament to 
how much he has learned to trust God. Despite his failures, despite his shortcomings, God tells him to do this in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay with the here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And again, I can't imagine everything that's going through Abraham's mind at this point. But he does say, we're going to go over there and worship. He doesn't tell the servants what, what's going to happen. He doesn't tell Isaac what's going to happen. But he says, we're going to come back. And the, the best I can figure is in Hebrews 11 and verse 19. Um, it says that Abraham considered that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. That's right. But Abraham is convinced that he is about to take a knife and kill his son yeah. and burn him as a burnt offering. Yeah. That's what Abraham is thinking. Like, this, is, this is what he is stealing himself to do the unthinkable yeah. in this chapter. And you can almost see him doing the math in his head. Okay, all right, so let me go back to the very first thing I know that God said. This goes all the way back to chapter 17, 19. No, but your uh, wife Sarah will bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So thing number one that Abraham knows, it's coming through Isaac. God said that. And if he's learned anything about God in his life, God is true to his word. So that's the first thing he knows. Then the second thing he knows is, I have to kill Isaac. But instead of him going, well, God's just a liar and he just doesn't, he's so inconsistent. What, what in the world does he want from me? Abraham goes, you know what? He must raise Isaac from the dead. That must be the end game here. Because I know he said my descendants are going to come through him. That's the kind of faith that Abraham is, is displaying to us in this chapter. And it's, it's amazing to think about. And so that's really the, kind of the first thing we're supposed to see from this story is the faith that Abraham has in God as he's testing him. And man, May we have that amount of faith that even when something in front of us looks like it, it contradicts what God said, we still know that God is still true and faithful to his word and will deliver us. So that's right. first and foremost one of the things we're supposed to see from Genesis 22. And I love, we won't read the whole narrative, but if you don't read anything else from the text today, read Genesis 22. Um, if you're listening to this, it is just such a powerful text. And at the heart of it is this phrase that happens in verse 7 and 8. As Isaac and Abraham are by themselves now and going to the place of sacrifice, verse 7, Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And you should chills reading reading that, the way Abraham chooses. And I don't know if this is an inspired moment from God or not, but Abraham may not even realize exactly what he's saying. God will provide the lamb for the offering. And I think Abraham does have in mind, God has provided Isaac. He, that's, that is the one that God has provided, and, and that is going to be the sacrifice. And God will, in another sense, provide a lamb, or in this case a ram, uh, in just a minute as a substitute for Isaac. But really what Abraham is saying that maybe he doesn't even realize is that everything in Genesis 22 is foreshadowing the moment when God will provide the lamb for a burnt offering. Yeah. 
and that's going to be in his own son, Jesus Christ, yeah. sacrificed on the cross for us. And I mean, the whole point is, is that there is not an offering that we have that we can give to God to suffice for the sins that we've committed against the, the creator, the crimes that we've committed. But God gives us that gift, his one and only son, his only son, whom he loves, Jesus Christ. And it really is a profound story to see all the way back in Genesis 22. We talked about in the very first episode, we saw Jesus as early as Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And here it's even more clear to see Jesus as you even consider some of the minor details like Isaac carrying the wood on his way up to the sacrifice or to the offering. It's on the third day that they get there. Right. There's the, the place that it is, Mount Moriah, which will eventually be Jerusalem, where Jesus is crucified. And Second Chronicles 3.1 gives us that connection. Exactly. So Jesus, he, he carries his own cross in the same way Isaac was carrying the wood. And just over and over again, you see the story of God and Jesus. And as impressed as we are with Abraham and his faith to, to follow through and be willing to follow through with this, yes, be impressed with that, but more so... Be impressed that we have a God that actually did have to go through with it. That That's what we're more so impressed with, is the amount of love that God had for us and being willing to give his only son so that we might be forgiven for whoever right. believes in him. And if you haven't read the story, the spoiler alert here, Abraham does not actually go through with the sacrifice. He's, he's ready to, but God spares him at the last minute and stops, the, stops him from doing that and says, don't lay your hand on the boy. I know now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then he sees that there's a ram caught by its horns in the bush, and he offers that instead of his son. And Abraham calls the name of the place the Lord will provide, based on you know what he had said earlier, the Lord will provide for himself, which is uh, Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Jireh, if you've ever heard that name of God, the Lord will provide. And that's just a beautiful picture of the life of Abraham. I mean, this is really the climax of the life of Abraham right here. He, he stumbled and fallen in different ways up to this point, but this is the greatest test that God gives him. And Abraham passes this test of faith by trusting in God and obediently doing what God wanted him to do, even though he didn't know how it ended. And that's primarily, that's what God is asking of us, is he's asking us to trust him when we don't know the end of the story, we don't know how it goes, but we know that God will keep his promises. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so, man, a lo- lot more to be said about Genesis 22, but um, for, for time's sake, we'll continue moving into chapter 23, where we learn that Sarah lives to be 127 years old, and then Sarah dies in Kiriath Arab, which is in Hebron, the land of Canaan, and Abram went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And so um, Sarah, she, she dies. Um, it looks like even, obviously, before Abraham dies, and... Uh, you see him mourning for her, and Isaac also would, would mourn for his mother as well. Yeah, th- these last three chapters of the life of Abraham really move fairly quickly in, in just tying up uh, what happens. There's not a lot more narrative that happens, except for Genesis 24, which is a rather long story about providing a wife for Isaac. Because again, for the promise to continue, we've had a lot of drama getting up to the birth of Isaac. But it's got to get to the next generation as well. And so providing a bride for Isaac uh, and providing one who will be faithful yes. and one who will not come from the Canaanites. Because remember, Abram has left, the, left his land and his people and is now among some pagan people. 
And so where are we going to get a bride that will serve Yahweh? Yes, follow that line all throughout the Bible. This is a good place to see it. Abram appoints a servant of his to go find a bride for, for Isaac, and he makes him swear to him by the Lord that you do not take a wife for my son from the Canaanites. He sends him back to his home country to take one of his own relatives. And we will see that throughout all the rest of the story of the Israelites is when they go after foreign wives, bad things happen. Mm -hmm. And so Abraham makes sure that his servant will get a, uh, get a wife for Isaac that is a godly, faithful woman. And there is an application there for us. We should encourage our children. We should encourage the people we're close with, we should, our, ourselves, join ourselves with people who love the Lord. Um, yeah. that, that's who we should seek after for a spouse. That's right. I really think that here the, the statement is less of a like uh, racial one and more of a faithful spiritual faithfulness exactly. is the idea here. And there's a lot of prayer that actually went into this decision um, yeah. on behalf of the servant of Abraham. And it's actually really cool because uh, no sooner than he looks up from his prayer praying that God would send him the woman, the woman appears, and it's Rebecca. So it's kind of a cool, quick answer to prayer you see on God's part. There. Yeah. Again, God's faithfulness is front and center in each of these stories, that just as God has provided for Abraham, um, even in his old age, uh, now God provides for Isaac as well. And that will really bring us to the end of the life of Abraham um, in Genesis 25. It is where, where he dies. We do find out that um, Abraham had another wife and other children in his life. Um, he lives to be 175 years old, um, and then he's gathered to his people. And um, we see that uh, in verse 11, uh, after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roy. Um, and so we're going to have the kind of the, the story shift gears here a little bit. Abraham has died, and now we're going to see the promise continue through Isaac, and then, of course, Jacob and, and his children. We'll know the least about Isaac, but next time, Lord willing, we'll start to get into more of Abraham's descendants and how the Lord continues to work with this family, ultimately to bless everyone through Jesus. Yeah, and there will be a lot, lot more imperfections we'll see in these chosen people of God, and yet God is still able to work through those people. So, Lord willing, we'll pick up in those stories next week. Yeah. If you guys are enjoying what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. If you'd like to study the Bible with us online or in person, reach out to us, 717-585-0949, or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information, check out CapitalCityChristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.